Here we are again, listeners, back for another episode of the European One, here on match day two in the Champions League, the Europa League and the Europa Conference League. Once again, we are recording on a Thursday evening, so we'll update you on any games currently playing as we go along. But before we jump on in, I'd like to welcome my guests for this episode. This week, a happier Andrew Davis, I imagine, um, along with Mr. Jonathan Dix. And a new guy, some geezer who's just randomly joined the chat. His name's Richard. Um, but in all seriousness, he's a writer at Breaking the Lines as well as a key observer of the free way for competitions. His words, not mine. How are we, gentlemen? Very good. Better than I was last time on the podcast. It was a post-mortem after what was one of the worst first times I've seen it ever play against in Naples. Also, only played one game since. We will mention that, I imagine, in a bit. But um, yeah, much happier mood than I was last week. Very good, Jonathan. I'm doing incredible at the moment. Freiburg currently three uh, nil up over Olympiakos in the Europa League, so Ooh. couldn't be much better than that. And Olympiakos that actually just signed James Rodriguez as well. Yeah, no yeah luckily he's he's not there at the moment, but uh, yeah, so yeah. they've now got. Marcelo and Rodriguez in the same team. Crazy. <laughs> Who's... I thought he was playing in the Middle East, wasn't he, last season? Was yeah, I think, I think they, they let him go on loan back, to, Bastard, back to Europe. So, yeah. Uh, Richard, how are you, mate? I'm very good, thank you, Ryan. I'm very good. Um, it's interesting about Olympiacos. At the moment. I'm just watching that Freiburg for goal now. Oh, no. Um, yeah, I'm just watching it live now on my uh, finger, my pad at the side of me. Um, yeah, just keeping track of all the scores while, while, while we're recording. All very well with me, thank you. Yeah, um, but keen follower of all the three European club competitions. Um, I'm a Wigan Athletic supporter. I've seen my side play in Europe before, so I've uh, been to the home games when we won the FA Cup and qualified against Ruben Kassan, Zoltavaragam and Maribor. Uh, I didn't manage to do any aways, regrettably, but um, yeah, still a great experience watching my side play in Europe. And um, and yeah, um, I'm enjoying the three European competitions so far. It's all been really, really good. So many storylines, and I'm sure we'll get on to talking about those in the upcoming 40 minutes. We sure will. Well, I mean, where to start? I mean, we can we can all laugh at Tottenham. We could all slightly laugh at Chelsea. We can definitely laugh at Juventus. Uh, but we, surely we cannot laugh at Club at Bruges, who absolutely battered Porto in Portugal 4-0 on Tuesday. And for me, that is the result of the week so far. I'll go to Andrew first. What's your result of the week so far? Liverpool 2, Ajax 1. Ah, <laughs> uh, you disgrace. No, I think that um, I think could have easily been Maccabi Haifa against PSG. I mean, I took your tip, Ryan, and started watching um, the Champions League goal show because Wednesday I found myself, you know, really stuck to choose what game because I wanted to see Potter's first game. I wanted to see, you know, Erling Haaland against Dortmund and I think there's Rangers against Napoli as well. And I think, mm-hmm. for me, I, was, I watched Ashley and I saw all the action happen. Um, I think there's, I think that you mentioned the Club Bruges on that probably is the most outstanding result. Um, I mean, you could argue Leverkusen against Atletico maybe would have been as well. Um, but I think for me, Sporting Tottenham was one because for me, not only because of the result, but also, you know, former Spurs player that I think maybe should be a dark horse for the England squad in Marcus Edwards. I mean, he almost scored for me one of the goals of the whole week. Of the whole week, it was a tremendous run and a brilliant one-two. Um, I can't think with his. I can't think who it was now, but 
he almost scored one of the goals of the week. And I think he's a player that I suppose will probably regret letting go, albeit he probably didn't realise how good he was when he was, you know, on the bench. Mm. Reserves. But I think that's that for me because I thought Spurs have been really good this year, but I do think they haven't been winning games convincingly. And I do think this maybe was a wake-up call for them. Maybe they aren't quite where maybe everyone else thought they were. Um, but I think you can't really look well beyond the um, Club Bruges result, to be honest. Absolutely. I do agree there. Jonathan, result of the week? For me, it has to be Leverkusen thus far. Uh, I watched the entirety of the game and just because how poor their form has been in league play, one win on the season. I mean, this is a every single year consistent Champions League side and they sit 17th out of 18 teams in the Bundesliga. It couldn't be any worse. And uh, to get a big defining 2 nothing win over Atletico at home when Jeremy Frimpong was subbed on and, and brought on to that right side, it completely changed the course of, a, of the game. And uh, that's exactly what Gerardo Sione and this side needed. And, and hopefully it's that little bolt of energy that turns this season around. Yeah, I have to say the second goal, I believe, uh, Diaby, who scored it, was wonderful team play from all the way from the back to the to the actual goal itself. Great sort of counter-attacking football by Leverkusen. And yeah, uh, Atletico, they didn't play well at all, but very good result there. And then finally, Jonathan, result of the week so far. Oh, sorry, not Jonathan. I've already asked Jonathan. Richards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no worries. No worries, guys. Yeah, um, I'd have to go with a Benfica versus Juventus game. I, I watched this um, yesterday evening. Um, I was recording another podcast earlier in the week and um, I picked out Benfica. It was like an analyst analyzing of certain sides to watch in this um, in these European competitions. And I picked Benfica as one of them. And the reason I picked Benfica is because obviously fans of the Bundesliga will know that Roger Schmidt is the new manager. I think that's a super capture for a side outside of the big five European leagues. I think that's a really good managerial appointment. And I've really been hot on Benfica this summer. The transfer business looks very solid. You know, some of the players that they've bought. And I really genuinely thought before this game that they could give Juventus a fight and a good run for their money for second place in, in this group behind PSG. And so they proved. I mean, apart from the first 20 minutes when they got a bit of stage fright in, in Turin, and obviously Juventus scored their opening goal. But after that, I thought uh, Benfica were really good. You know, they didn't panic. I think they, they hit the, the, um, the post before... Um, then they got a little bit of luck that they needed. Miretti, the young Juventus midfielder, stood on um, Gonzalo Ramos's toe, an obnoxious challenge, but nonetheless it was a penalty. And then you know Benfica equalised. Then after that, I thought they were they were great value for their win. You know they forced Matteo Perin into so many good saves, keeping Juventus in the tie. And yes, a great win for them, and it now gives them a superb opportunity to go through in. Um, in second place, I think PSG will probably prove too strong for them and the, the two matches against PSG will be interesting to um, test for Benfica and where their level is at. But no, I think that was um, an absolutely fantastic victory and um, it's a victory which also piles the pressure onto Max Allegri and Juventus. Um, they really are in a bit of a state at the moment, but full credit to Benfica for that fantastic win. Absolutely. All, all four of those results are all very much worthy of result of the week. Obviously, we mentioned about Spurs beaten by a very good sport inside Tuna in a game which I did watch most of. I felt sport and dominated that game. They didn't look in trouble at all. Spurs were not good 
in really any sort of department. And once again, Conte's record in the Champions League has been highlighted. Not very good at all. I think he's actually, someone said he's lost more games, not more knockout games than he's won, but uh, which was, is an incredible statistic considering the teams that he's managed in the Champions League throughout the years. But uh, obviously the other early game on the Tuesday was Inter. They were away at Victoria Pilsen with the Italians getting a comfortable win. But the big two games of the night on Tuesday obviously were Liverpool against Ajax and Bayern against Barcelona. Obviously, both home teams did come away with the wins. But first of all, I want to go to our resident Liverpool fan who last week was very unhappy. I'm intrigued to see how his opinion is this week because they didn't. I watched most of that game as well. They didn't look overly convincing, in my opinion, especially Darwin Nunez, who I feel is still settling in. But I'm intrigued because obviously we watched Ajax a few weeks ago and they've been on, you know, fire in the Eredivisie and I I really did feel like Ajax would come away with the win but obviously Liverpool they got the win Thiago was excellent you can see he makes an incredible difference to the to that Liverpool team but take it away Andrew yeah I mean I actually disagree I think that we were the better team I think Ajax did really well and I think it was a usual story, really, that, you know, we had all the ball and all the chances, but couldn't really, you know, find a way to break teams down. It's been a problem all year. It's been a problem whenever we seem to lose games or draw games and the clock it has been really down to that in the last few years. And looking at the stats, once again, we had 10 shots on target. They had one. We had almost 60% possession. Um, you mentioned Thiago. You bang on there. He was man of the match for me. I thought he was brilliant. And I think that he's shown here that he probably is our most crucial player now because whilst we had a bad run, he wasn't there, but we still had Van Dijk, Alisson and Salah still playing. But yet with Thiago, it took a while to set it in, but once he set it in, we saw just our game to suit him. And now it's the case where when he plays, we're 10 times team we are when he doesn't play. And I think now you saw on Tuesday the talent he has, and I think he's just become so crucial for that team. So I think having him back for me was really positive. Probably more than the actual results, seeing back and playing well straight away, I think is really obvious. We have got like a 20, 15, 20 day break now before we play Brighton in October. Um, but I think if we can stay fit in that 15 days, which is a big if, knowing his recent record. But I think for me, I like the performance because even though we it was a gritty win, I think we showed a lot of character to get that win at the end, you know, to keep going for it and then obviously getting the goal through Matip, an unlikely source towards the end I think it's good to see and I think that was almost like Liverpool of old the Liverpool we've used to seeing when they have been good is that when they have had games where they've been at their best but not get the goals we still have a mentality to go on and win the game so I think that was good to see as much as a result um, but I think in terms of the result I think it's also really crucial because Napoli obviously day one day later against Rangers 3-0 they're probably going to be through the group now so I think it's probably between us and Ajax to get a second place I think to get a win um, and also in terms of going into that game at Ajax as well. We've got Rangers twice, which you think would be at least four points in those two games. I think if we lost that game or even drawn it, I think it could have been a difficult rest of the campaign. So that was good. Darwin Nunes, again, for me, disappointed. I think that he had a good start to his life, scored the goal against Man City and Fulham. But since his red card against Palace, he's done next to nothing apart from that. Almost won the goal against Everton. And I think it's, it's quite worrying because... We lost Mane, and obviously Nunes came in, um, obviously with the money we got from Mane, pretty much. And I think 
everyone thought he'd be he looked on paper looking at his highlights on YouTube and when he played us last season he looked like he's gonna be a great fit for Klopp he he likes to track back he likes to help out you know he saw him even so far for us he likes to move around a lot which I think Klopp likes to see from his strikers but so far he's not convinced me his touch seems all over the place and it just seems to be whenever he comes on he seems to make the team almost play worse I know he almost got a goal but it's just it, when you watch him, it's just it's very hard to watch him at the moment because it just seems, I don't know, it seems like a a real challenge to do anything like we've seen before. So I th- it's it's a worry, but I think that you know we see a lot of players on the clock take a long time to settle. Fabinho took a long time to get in the team. You know, the Ox took a while, and he came in and did well. Some players also came in straight away, did well, like Mane and Salo and people like that. But I think some players in the clock takes a while to get used to it and get regular starts. And I think that's what we're going to see with Darwin Nunes, especially with Bobby Firmino sort of playing almost back to his best at the moment. He's playing really well. And obviously, Luis Diaz um, you know, being our best player this year, probably in attacking sense. So I think it'll take a while to get into the team. But I think I'm hoping that, you know, once he gets a few months to get used to Klopp's way and Klopp gets used to him, I'm hoping that will be like any other player we bought and it'll just be business as usual for him in the next few months, and he'll come back to the player we all sort of Benfica. But I must say right now, he looks like a Uruguayan Andy Cowell. <laughs> I think it's, it's also quite worrying in the fact that, in fact, both of our clubs share this same issue, in my opinion, in that our, our best midfielders in Thiago for Liverpool and Thomas Partey for Arsenal are the most influential midfielders of both clubs, and yet they're so injury-prone. And especially with Thiago now in his early 30s, that surely must be a massive concern to Liverpool for the rest of the season. Yeah, and I think that, thankfully, I imagine he will be in the squad for Spain in the World Cup. I don't think he'll play everywhere. I don't mm. think in the Euros, certainly, he didn't really start for them. He used to come on either next time or in normal time, second half sort of thing. So I think that's a good thing for me because he will be playing every week. He'll come back fairly fresh but he'll also be quite match fit. So I think that's good in that sense because I think he is now definitely our most crucial player now because he's the one player we miss so badly. So I think, yeah, it's a problem. That's a problem with having a player so crucial being injury prone because, you know, every year it seems to happen now that, you know, because mm. at least with Navi Cater, you look at him, like he's very injury prone, but it takes him about 10 games to settle in. So it's all, that's frustrating. But at least with Thiago, you know that when he comes back, straight away, bang, back to his old self. We saw that again on Tuesday. So I think, yeah, it's good. I hope he can stay fit in the World Cup, which is hopefully not the case. I mean, thankfully, Salah's not playing in the World Cup, which would be good. Um, but I think, yeah, we've got quite a few players who are going to be playing in the World Cup. So, yeah, fingers crossed, they all come back healthy. Absolutely. Now, obviously, we had Bayern Munich versus Barcelona, undoubtedly, on paper, the game of the night. And again, I was watching that game as well, as all the other games. It was a great watch during the little bits I was seeing. Bayern got the win with both goals just four minutes apart. But I actually felt Barca played very well. And it wouldn't shock me if the result is reversed at the camp now. Uh, I thought Barcelona, they took it to Bayern, to be fair. And I didn't know which way to go at the start of that game in terms of predictions. So I just, I sat on the fence and just, you know, went with a home win. Obviously, they got that in the end. But going to our, our resident German experts, what did you make of Bayern's performance, Jonathan? Yeah, I tried to watch as much of it as I could, and I felt the same way as you. 
I didn't exactly believe that Bayern were far and away the better team and, and really deserved that 2-0 victory. Barcelona had their fair bit of chances, but Robert Lewandowski was just off. He couldn't convert the few chances that he had. And I think their front three in general were really poor um, considering how they've started the season in La Liga. But uh, the rest of their squad played, played decent. I mean, you know, one little set piece error on Lucas Hernandez's goal and, and just some Nagelsmann football on, um, you know, Sané's second goal there in the second half. But they weren't, they weren't far apart. Um, but it was nice to see as a sort of German football fan in general that um, a guy named Lewandowski struggled in his return to Bayern Munich. So I think that uh, a few, few Germans fans saw that as a, as a positive in the game. Mm, very intriguing one, that is. Uh, Richard, what did you make of Barca's performance in particular? And do you think in the reverse tie at the camp now that they can, they can get a result? Or do you think it will be a bit of the same? Well, I had the goal show on, on BT when I was watching this one. Uh, um, I was also watching Wigan Athletic versus Huddersfield on Sky at the same time. I was trying to multitask with this one. So um, I had, had little bits and pieces. I was, you know, getting drip feeds from it, like they were cutting to it every now and again on the goal show on BT Sport. Um, from what I heard of the game, although I didn't watch all of it, um, I didn't hear of an improved performance in Barcelona considering the last couple of times they come up against Bayern Munich where let's be honest they've taken a real hiding um, so I think they'll be disappointed to obviously lose but to only lose by two goals to, to nil and to actually have played quite well in the first half from what I was what I was hearing they had chances um, will be seen as some some kind of progress and I think yeah they will probably go to Camp Nou in some better spirits than what they have been in the previous um, games against Bayern, for sure. Um, I mean, it's been a chaotic summer at Barcelona. We've all known all the issues that they've had and how many different levers they've had to pull to get this kind of squad together. I mean, I was, I'm kind of, I'm actually happy Bayern won in a way against them because, um, you know, it, it kind of just showed that brilliant, well-run, a brilliant, well-run club beats chaos, if you, if you know what I mean. But, um, <laughs> but you know, ultimately, at the end of the day with Barcelona, yeah, despite the chaotic stuff off the pitch with the financial levers and getting this squad together, I don't deny that they have got an improved squad comparative to last season. So it will be quite interesting, the return leg at Camp Nou, I think. I think Barcelona will be feeling a little bit more confident. I'd still have them as slight underdogs, though. I think Bayern are still a winning machine under Julian Nagelsmann. But of course, the most important thing from Barcelona's point of view is these next two games against Inter Milan. I think that will be, with Bayern having Victoria Pills in the next two games, you'd expect them to really rack up the goals and two wins and pretty much guarantee them going through. So these two games coming up are going to make or break Barcelona's European campaign because given their financial issues and given that they've had to sacrifice a portion of their um, economic rights because of these levers that they've pulled to to get this squad together, Champions League last 16 football is absolutely imperative in the spring. So these two games against Inter are massively important. But, but obviously, based on what I've been hearing from people who watched the entirety of the game, yes, Barcelona will be relatively content after the hangs they've taken from Bayern recently but it the most important games for them I think this season in this group stage are those two matches against Inter they absolutely have to go through to the round of 16 at minimum I would say yeah absolutely I do agree with those two games against Inter because Inter have started the season okay in Serie A 
they haven't been as brilliant as they have been the last couple of seasons by any stretch. So they are definitely two winnable games for Barcelona, but equally they could also lose those those games. I, I think they're very 50-50 in both ties and they're going to be very intriguing watches. Absolutely. And uh, some good points as well there on Barcelona's financial issues for sure. But finally on the Tuesday, the two games that we haven't yet covered, Marseille, they were beaten at the Avellodrome, one nil by Frankfurt and at Bayer Leverkusen, as we mentioned in the results of the week, they got all three points at home to Atletico Madrid. But on to Wednesday with FC Salzburg bringing out that inner Lord Voldemort to deny Potter's Chelsea. Um, Napoli, they were excellent in Glasgow against Rangers. Real Madrid were made to work very hard for their win at the Bernabeu against a jubilant Leipzig team after their win against uh, Dortmund in the Bundesliga at the weekend. And Sevilla's poor form continues as they drew away to FC Copenhagen. But a question to you all. Erling Haaland, is he a fully-fledged human being or is he something that was constructed in a laboratory somewhere? Because that goal against Dortmund last night was just outrageously good. And not just a goal, the pass from Cancelo, something that we've seen a lot from actually Jao Cancelo. But to score that, I mean, I was again, I was watching the goal show as well and I didn't actually have my eye on it when it went in. And hearing the reactions of the guys on there, I thought it's got to be special. And then when you see the replay, it's just, it's just unreal. So um, I'll let, I'll let Jonathan answer that first. He's, he's the Ireland Harland expert here. It's a fair question to ask because he has been that good this year. And that finish itself is, is simply ludicrous. Uh, and I think that Cancelo pass as well, doesn't get talked enough about. I mean, it's Luka Modric-esque, uh, unbelievable stuff from City. And just a little quick thing about that game. I, I knew City were going to come back and win. It's such a terrible feeling watching Dorman over and over again. But you just knew when they went to that back five, something terrible was going to happen. And then, of course, when John Stones all of a sudden had that rocket of a hit, um, I knew that, that somebody and probably Erling Holland was going to come in and, and secure the three points for City. But, yeah, he's been unbelievable I will still give him the title as a human being because I sad to say, I hope it doesn't happen, but uh, just with his injury bug that's occurred in his career so far, uh, I still think at some point he's going to run into some sort of trouble with his body that especially last season broke down so much. It seemed like every other week he picked up a knock or a muscle injury in training. So hopefully continues on this pace. It's a, big help that he doesn't have to participate in the world cup but um yeah he's definitely a top three strike in the world possibly top two even at the moment uh he's he's been that good i mean he hasn't yet come up against william saliba this season so i'll, I'll, I'll wait until we see what happens in that phenomenal battle till i judge him a little bit more but i mentioned on twitter actually last night that we're gonna have it again now for the next 10 years, or instead of Messi, Ronaldo, it's going to be Haaland against Mbappe. Both, are, obviously, Mbappe, he got a goal as well last night. Both are just unbelievable players. They really are. And it was interesting, actually, watch uh, seeing a highlight from the CBS 
um, show that they looked at the, the stat, stats basically. And if he continued on this current form, I believe they said he would score 99 goals this season in all competitions. And obviously, surely that would, I can't, I think Messi's one was for a calendar year, wasn't it? Not just for a, a season when he got like 106 goals or whatever it was. But I don't think he'll continue in this same vein of form. Obviously, Jonathan, you mentioned his injury record as well there. But you can't rule it out, not when you've got the kind of players City have feeding them passes. He doesn't even have to do anything. He's, he's like that old-fashioned player when he was at school who would just goal hang and you just smash balls up to him and he would just score with every single touch. And, you know, he gets like 10 touches a game and still scores a hat-trick. It's, it's mind-blowing and it's terrifying for the other 19 Premier League teams this season. But um, do you think he can get anywhere near that kind of goal record this season, Andy? Um, I don't think so because the football history has told us that, you know, players have often started well, but even if you have a good season, your goals, you can't score every game. And I think there'll be a point where he doesn't score maybe in two or three games. I do think as good as the start's been, oh, goal there from Sociedad, um, as good as the start's been, um, I do think that eventually he won't be quite as rapid as they are. Now, I still think he'll score, you know, 30-odd goals in the league and maybe 10. I still think he'll get 40, 50 goals in a season, but I just think 99 goals is probably a bit out of reach. I think we saw, we saw, we saw Messi do it across a calendar year, but that's Messi and he's probably the best player ever to play the game. But I think Haaland is very good. Um, but I still think he'll get the Premier League top score. He'll probably be in the top score in the Champions League as well. And this is why I think he'll help City win the league because he's come in, already scored 20-odd goals to Dortmund already, already in the Champions League. He's already got that Champions League pedigree. He knows how to score in the competition. I think having him in will be given that extra edge. That's why I still think they'll go on and win it. Um, but I also actually want to ask you an interesting debate because I saw on a football uh, channel on YouTube today, they were sort of talking about who the best strikers out of Haaland and Kane. I want to get your boys' thoughts on this. Terms of as a player, yeah. not, not as a goal scorer, but as a player. You don't even have to ask me. No, there's no one asking you. you I know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but Jonathan and um, Richard, like, where do you stand on that? Because um, it was Reeve and Theo Baker. Theo Baker was adamant he wouldn't let um, Reeve speak, if I'm honest. But Reeve was on the yeah, Kane sort of side and uh, Theo Baker and was sort of on the Halland side. In terms of, I know goal score, you can't knock um, Halland because he's just scoring goals for fun. But would you guys say Kane's better or Halland's, player, uh, Halland's better overall as a player? Uh it's it's an interesting one because I've got to admit with Kane the performance he put in last season against Manchester City mm. in the um, in the Premier League was so good. I remember watching that game live and watching that game. Sorry, um, on the TV and yeah, the way Kane was just dropping deep and playing in the likes of um, Kulusevski and Son. I don't think that's something Haaland has up his sleeve. So yeah, Kane I think is slowly you could argue, starting to adapt as he goes into his late 20s and approaches 30. So, I mean, that is an interesting little string to his bow that he has. Um, to answer the original question, I think he is part cyborg, part human, Harland. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's just ridiculous at times. It's like City are almost giving sides 
a goal or two head start. Like against Newcastle, it's like, and Crystal Palace, there you go, have two goal head start, we'll still come back and score three. <laughs> it's just, it's it's literally incredible. And yeah, it's just a scary thought process for the rest of the Premier League. And yeah, I, I, I looking at the highlights of that game afterwards, it did seem like Dortmund did everything that they humanly possibly could, but then not only have you got to contend with Haaland, you've got to also contend with central defenders knocking it in from just outside the penalty box like John Stones did. Very Vincent Company escort against Leicester. It's like almost no matter what you do, this City side has just got so many different angles they can attack you from. And yeah, I think if anyone finishes above them, they're going to win the Premier League because they seem like the red-hot favourites again. And having Haaland in the side is just an extra powerful weapon. Like, like you guys said, though, I do think there will be periods of the season where Injuries might hit, he might have a little dip, but generally speaking, with him in the side, yeah, I think City are going to be very, very difficult to stop. As for the Kane versus Haaland comparison, I do like Harry Kane, but I don't know, I'm probably I'm going to slightly side with Haaland, even if I like Kane in this new role where he's also creating rather than just scoring. Yeah, Haaland just strikes with just this, this brilliant striker, just him and Mbappe, yeah, it's just such convenient timing, isn't it? As Messi and Ronaldo reach the end, we're now talking about two new, the Kylian Mbappe versus um, Erling Haaland rivalry. Um, such a brilliant um, story point. Yeah, Kane um, so- in the last couple of years, especially has become one of the best number nines at dropping back and and sort of holding up play and and letting his wingers and son especially move forward and then finding that that through ball um, to spring a goal, but at the moment you'd have to say Erling Holland, and I think he's a little bit more enjoyable to watch. Uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see what would happen if Harry Kane played in, in a more possession-based style under a coach like Guardiola, but I don't think that will ever happen. And the interesting with thing with Kane is it will be interesting to see what happens next summer. He's got a contract that expires in 2024. That, that Tottenham contract extension has been on the table for quite some time now that he refuses to sign. And uh, Byron, just in the last week, have held discussions with his agent, who's also his brother, Charlie Kane. And they've told Harry Kane, wait, we want you to wait until next summer so, so we can then hold proper discussions with you on possibly signing you in case they do decide after this season of not having a true number nine look, we need to bring a veteran guy in in order to replace Robert Lewandowski, who outside of a 17-year-old Matthias Tell, they, they didn't do it at all this summer. Yeah, I'm sorry, but no one in their right mental state would, would pick at the moment Harry Kane, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, Erling Haaland over Harry Kane or the other way. However, I'm confusing myself, <laughs> but Erling Haaland's in that team over Harry Kane. One million percent, and a yes or no answer from you all. Does Erling Haaland beat Alan Shearer's record just for goals scored in one se- season, which is 31? So, yes. Andy, Jonathan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did. Again, but, um, yes. That's a, a defiant yes from Andy. Jonathan? Yes. Yes. And Richard? Three out of three, yes. It's four yeses, but okay. Now, finally, from the Champions League onto Group H, in which PSG got a three-one win away in Israel to Maccabi Haifa, who played very well, but ultimately PSG's class just came through. But Juventus, my oh my, 
in a half-empty stadium. Again, they were outclassed by Roger Schmidt's Benfica, who are actually six out of six so far in the Primera Liga. And they played so well last night. Obviously, they went the goal down, but they battered that Juve team, who looked so, so poor. I'm just, I'm just going to go actually through that starting eleven from last night. It's such a fall from grace from the teams over the past few years that got to those finals. You've got Mattia Prolin in goal. I suspect Chesney is currently injured. But you've got a back three of Bremer, who's not a bad player. Bonucci, obviously we know his class. Uh, Danilo, who isn't a centre-back, yet he's almost playing at a centre-back role. A midfield five of Juan Cuadrado, Weston McKenney, Paredes, Miretti, and Philip Kostic with Milik and Vlahovic up front. Now that is such a poor star in 11. I know they're missing Pogba, they're missing Chiesa. Obviously, Dean Balera isn't in that star in 11 either. But just even the defence is, is so weak and poor considering... You know, of years gone by, that's what Juventus were known for. They're, they're outrageously good back four or back five or even under Allegri, a back three. But it's such a fall, like I say, from grace for, for that side. And it's worrying times for, for Juve. Like I said, when you can't even sell your stadium out and you're resorting to playing youngsters in midfield, you know, it's... I don't Because they haven't really got the money to spend either. They, they outlaid them a big fee for Dusan Vlovic, and they haven't really brought in any big sums. I know they sold Mateus de Glicht to Bayern, but obviously they had to get a lot of players off their wage bill as well. They got Ramsey off that, and uh, I mean, they've still got, obviously, Arturo Rabio um, at the club, but definitely worrying, and I think Benfica can very well see themselves through that group. I don't see how they can't. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they got a result uh, back in Portugal. And I can very well see those two teams going through and Juventus dropping down into the Europa League. But that sets us up nicely for our, our next UEFA club competition. That is the Europa League. Now, we'll go through a few results so far this evening. Manchester United away to FC Sheriff. They were 2 0 winners with Jaden Sancho and Cristiano Ronaldo getting the goals. Real Sociedad uh, scored late to beat Omani at Nascosia 2 1 out in Bilbao. Uh, in Group F, FC oh, San Sebastian. That's San Sebastian. Sorry, my, my, my bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get crucified now for that. Um, in Group F, FC Midland have bad Lazio 5-1 in probably the result of the night so far. I mean, I'm just checking Lazio's team to see if they had a full team. And it looks like they did have a full team. Chiro Mobile was in there. They had uh, Milinkovic-Savic playing. So no excuses for Lazio. And that's a, that's a shocking result. Um, elsewhere in that group final, they're 6-0 up at, at the minute. The game's nearly finished at home to Sturm Graz. In Group G, Jonathan's team, Freiburg, they beat Olympiacos 3-0. Carabag, uh, they beat Nantes 3-0 as well. 
Another shock result, Monaco, 1-0 down at home. And I've never, and I've heard of a lot of European teams, but this is one I've never heard of. Ferenc Savarez, I believe is how you pronounce uh, them. French Ferros. French Ferros. There we go. I'm glad we're we're not all Paul Mersons here. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't. You you'll be able to tell us, Richard, where where this team um, originate from. And they're from Hungary, the Hungarian. Oh, okay. Very nice. Um, they're the most successful club in Hungary, I think. The record title winners, I think. Wow. Um, that's, yeah. That's, that's that's some stuff. Like I say, I mean, did Monaco? Yeah, Monaco again had had a very strong team out, so. No excuses as well for them. And lastly, in Group H, Trabonsborough, 2-1 winners at home to Seven Savada. But... Uh, Red Star Belgrade. Red Star Belgrade. It's just a Serbian way of saying it. Kavana <laughs> Svesta, the Serbian way of saying it. Red Star Belgrade. Make you once more, more Richards. Um, in ter- I mean, in terms of the other Europa League games to come this evening, we've got some very tasty-looking ones. Uh, Real Betis at home to Ludogorets. Everyone knows that I have a very soft spot for Real Betis. Uh, in that group as well, Roma at home to HJK Helsinki. But I, I think the games to look out for, definitely Braga, who, as we mentioned a little while ago before the podcast started, they are absolutely, absolutely flying at the moment in the Premier League. Currently in second place, 16 points from a potential 18. Richard mentioned that they are the highest goal scores as well in Portugal at the moment. And they're at home to the Bundesliga. Um, currently, they're currently first in Bundesliga, Union Berlin. Is that right, Jonathan? That's correct, yep. There you go then. So two teams in flying form at the minute, and that should be a very exciting game to watch, along with you've got Wren at home against Fenerbahce. That should be decent as well. And then lastly, you've got Bodo Glimt at home to FC Zurich, Dinamo Kiev against Alanica, and Union St. Gilles against Malmo. But in terms of the other games in the Europa Conference League, another tasty-looking game, Istanbul Basikshir against Fiorentina. Hearts from Scotland away to RFS. West Ham away to Silkborg. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, VRAL, they're away to Hapoel Beer Shiva. Some, some decent looking games, to be fair. Again, we've got results to go through from the Conference League, of which have already played this evening. Alkmaar, 4 1 winners at home to FC Vaduz. Um, what other ones are there to look out for? Slavia Prague, 3 2 winners at home to Balkani. Basel winning away to Zeldrilis Vinicius. God, Andy, you you should be very glad you haven't got to pronounce these teams. You'd be having an aneurysm right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad it's not me once because I've been thinking about the jokes the last year. So I'm glad it's uh, <laughs> not just me now. These are, these are some very difficult. I'm glad I've got Richard here anyway, but um, I'm going to let Richard go on this bit. Tell us about the games to watch tonight and which teams we should be excited to see. Well, Ren versus Fenerbahce definitely looks like one to watch. Um, Turkish sides recently in European competition have been enduring a real decline. The league has dropped down to 20th in the UEFA coefficient rankings. They're only just ahead of Israel at the moment, which really highlights how poorly their sides have done. And 
Fenerbahce, I would say this season, probably Trabzonspor as well to an extent, probably have a lot of honour to um, try and restore in Turkish football in circles because obviously Vaduz um, stunned Konyaspor in Conference League qualification. That was a big shock. I was certainly not expecting that. So, yeah, the Turkish teams definitely have to start stepping up their act in European competition. And Fenerbahce under George Jesus, one last fling for him in um, European management, you would think, as he approaches his late 60s. Um, could be quite an interesting game, that. Stad René, obviously Nantes and uh, Monaco have really not helped league on this season um, with these results, because obviously the Dutch and Portuguese are not a million miles off league on, actually, with the coefficient ratings at the moment. So they really need to get some results. They can't just rely on PSG and, you know, Marseille, as we all know, Marseille seem to just lose all the time in the in the Champions League. They really are just absolutely hopeless at it even even when you give them a decent enough group they still look absolutely hopeless as a group which they can actually get through they still look poor so yeah I think pressure on Ren tonight under Bruno Genesio to try and restore some some um, hope there um, in the conference league yeah I concur I concur with you there Ryan I think uh, Bashak Shahir versus uh, Fiorentina will be an interesting tie because obviously I watched Bashak Shahir versus Hearts last Thursday and um, yeah I was expecting that to be a bit closer but Bashak Shahir really took Hearts to pieces um, Fiorentina only got a draw against RFS from Latvia so the pressure's on them you know because if Bashak Shahir can win that game suddenly then they're looking in a brilliant position to uh, to win that group um, yeah a couple of other of interesting ties, obviously West Ham and Villarreal are the two big big teams in this competition. So, and I would expect both of them to have some positive results tonight. Um, of the games just played, Al- AZ Alkmaar underlying the um, uh, strength in that group. I suspect they'll go through that group pretty easily. Be interesting to see what kind of draw they get in the last sixteen if they get there, because they could really go on a long run, emulate maybe Feyenoord last season, and have a good strong run in that competition. And yeah, maybe other games to look out for. Yeah, like you mentioned, Braga versus Union Berlin. I definitely think that's one to look out for. Will Roma be able to respond against HJK Helsinki at home? I probably expect them to to respond, but bet but Ludo Goretz's win has certainly opened up that group now a little bit. Um, but Betis playing very well under Manuel Pellegrini at the minute. I think the third in La Liga, looking very very good to possibly get into the top four. Um, and yeah, that that Feyenoord. Lazio, Michelin, Sturm, Graz group now has suddenly become really interesting because all the teams are on three points. So um, that one could go right to the very wire and uh, final suddenly have gone from misery to jubilation in a week. And even better now that Lazio have lost from their point of view, even better now that Lazio have lost. So yeah, that group looks really open now. So yeah, so many fascinating storylines to tell and possibly future storylines in the upcoming couple of hours when the eight o'clock kickoff starts. Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned about Marseille as well, because they, although they were beaten by Tottenham and they were unlucky in that game because they were the much better team in the first half. And obviously the sending off destroyed their, you know, getting any chance of a win or even a point eventually. And although they were beaten by Frankfurt this week, you know, they're, they're absolutely on fire in league on at the moment on level points with PhD at the top. And I've watched them a few times already this season in the French league, and they've been very impressive. So I wouldn't I wouldn't discount them yet in Europe, in Europe, but I, I, I would definitely fear them if they drop down into the Europa League. I wouldn't want to play play them. We know that's a very hostile stadium as well. Um, we've witnessed that firsthand, so we I think that's definitely one to watch for. But yeah, I'm glad you mentioned about the um, the coefficient leagues as well because. This is something that has been 
highlighted a couple of times already that it was absolutely imperative for Nice as well to get through into obviously the group stages of uh, European football because they need everything that they can get at the moment. Obviously, they could very well be in danger of losing you know, more places to the likes of the Eredivisie and the Primera Liga because there are two leagues without a doubt that are on the rise at the moment. The Portuguese league is definitely getting stronger with you know, more title battles now between the big three teams and who knows even Braga and other teams from Portugal now getting involved in the mix there and the Eredivisie, obviously Ajax are always strong in Europe and PSV playing well at the moment. You've got Feyenoord and Alkmaar obviously doing well in their respective European competitions. So it's definitely uh, an interesting one to, to highlight. But in terms of your team, Jonathan Freiburg, this season, how far do you, you believe they can go in Europe this season? I think they can definitely make it um, through the group stage. I think they got a little bit lucky with their group from a fan perspective. A lot of supporters weren't too pleased of, you know, drawing Karabakh from Azerbaijan, um, Nantes from France. Um, and then they, they just played Olympiacos today, which is probably the best away fixture out of all those three. But it's still a group that they can get out of. They're currently leading in after two wins to start. But at the same time, they do lack the depth to be able to handle two games every single week for this amount of time. Luckily, they don't have too many international players. So this little break here that we have coming up will be helpful. But the month of October is just ridiculous for a small club like Freiburg to be able to handle. So once we get to that point, everybody's going to be so, so tired. And I'm a bit afraid of what's to come. But with these two wins now in their back pocket, I think they can at least get through to the knockout stages. And then from then, anything else is a bonus. Yeah, I do concur there. But again, some fascinating fixtures across all three competitions this week, as there will be every match day from now until the finals. But as Richard wasn't here for episode one, and actually neither was Jonathan, it was, it was only me and Andy, we gave our predictions on the winners for all three competitions. So now it's your lucky turn to give us your predictions. I'm aware that I haven't given you any kind of notice, so I'm putting you completely on the spot. And I'll go with, we'll go there with the easy one first, Champions League. Um, I'll let Richard go first. I'm going to go for... I'll say Bayern. I still I feel that they've looked good in the Bundesliga so far. Yeah, a little bit of a... Okay, yeah, they're not quite top yet, but I still think they have a top squad. I still think they'll pull through in the end. You know, I, I don't, I just don't trust anybody else to go the distance with them in Germany squad-wise. I mean, Dortmund do have a chance of doing that, but we all know Dortmund do Dortmund things and, you know, they'll be absolutely brilliant. They'll probably get an away win against Manchester City in the Champions League and then back that up with something like, I don't know, a loss at home against Bochum or something. So, you know, I just don't think Dortmund always do Dortmund things in the Bundesliga. So I think Bayern will win that. And then in the Champions League so far, they've pretty much just probably not, arguably not been at their best, yet still won two games, 2-0, minimum of four, four goals, zero conceded, scored, zero conceded. And I, I do generally think, yeah, I think Bayern still will be have that imposing mentality about them. And I think they will win the, the Champions League. 
um, I'm tempted to say City, but for some reason they seem to have a hex with the Champions League. I don't know why, but um, and it's a little bit boring to say Real Madrid because they always win it. But so yeah, I'll say Bayern. I'll say Bayern. Well, Andy will hope you're wrong with Manchester City because he has money on the line with Noeem. But oh no no uh, no no, I have to lose the money if it means I'm not winning the next four years, and I'm I'm happy with that. <laughs> okay, I'll retract that statement, but. I was actually asked the other day, funny enough, by someone who, who listens to our podcasts, if why I hate Bayern Munich so much. It's not, it's, not, it's not a strong hate for them because I am very anti-Bayern. Obviously, I predict that Dortmund would win the Bundesliga this season and they still might. Um, I don't think they win the Champions League, but I've only got to say that I'm an Arsenal fan and that will tell you everything you need to know as to why I have a strong disdain for Bayern Munich. So that answers that question if you're listening. But, Jonathan, Champions League winner. Well, after seeing this Erling Haaland start, I'll have to give the edge to Man City. Maybe this is finally the year uh, Guardiola can, can solve his strange little curse that keeps City from winning the, uh, the Champions League. So I'll go with them. Fair enough. For anyone who wasn't listening last week, I actually went for PSG. And Andy, please... Remind us who you went for. I went for Man City. There we go. Now, the Europa League. I believe I went with Arsenal. I believe Andy actually went for Inter Milan, dropping Mm -hmm. out of the Champions League and going on to win the Europa League. Uh, Jonathan, your pick. Yeah, the Europa League is always tough because I always feel like it's going to be one of those Few, few from the Champions League that, uh, that dropped down, but going from those that are currently in the Europe, you know what? Freiburg. Give me Freiburg. <laughs> They're going to do it. This is, this is our year. No doubt about it. I definitely, definitely believe this is going to happen because it definitely will. So Freiburg. <laughs> Fair enough. Richard? Um, to make you happy, Ryan, I will say Arsenal. I will say Arsenal. I, I'm, I'm just, just wondering. Like maybe uh, I've still got that little doubt. Maybe they could have had a little bit more depth to the squad in the summer window. Mm. You know, to obviously juggle both domestic affairs and European games. But obviously, there's that thing, isn't there? Where if you win your Europa League, you get the top seeding in the Champions League as well, and that's also really important. So I'm beginning to see what happens. I think. I mean, Arsenal have got a group which they should win. Um, so mm. that obviously then means they can part European football till March. They get a bye to the round of 16. And then they can they can play it by ear. If they're looking good for a top four finish by that point, then they can throw everything at the Europa League then. And I think they'd have a good chance of, of, of winning that. I know the result against Manchester United was a disappointment, but I generally think Arsenal could be well set because obviously Man United now are under a bit more pressure. They might only come second in their group, likewise Roma, and they would, you know, could even run into each other in the in the play in the knockout playoff round, the round before the round of 16. And then some of the big names in the Champions League dropouts could run into each other as well. So Arsenal winning their group and going through as group winners. Yeah, go on. I'll, I'll go for Arsenal. I'll go for Arsenal. I'll take a, a speculative pun. Finally, someone I can actually acknowledge for being a nice human being on this podcast. <laughs> someone that agrees with me for a change but yeah I do I just feel like the World Cup's a massive help to us now in that respect because our squad depth is definitely a concern but considering we're now going to have obviously most of December and some of November off and we can hopefully 
bring in some players in January, I think that will definitely be the the issue for us going into the window. And I'm and I'm glad that we're not we're not panic buying. We're waiting to we're being sensible in the window, and for sure, I think they'll they'll look to bring in a couple of players in January if we're still struggling with injuries like we are now. So that's what gives me the hope for the Europa League for the rest of this campaign. But Andy, please. Re- Oh, we've already done Andy, haven't we? We've done, we've done the Europa League. We've done the Europa League. Right, the Europa Conference League. I believe I said West Ham. Um, Andy, I think you said Villarreal, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because of Mr. Unai Emery. Uh, go back to Richard for this one. Awesome. Continental competition again. That's not happened since Porto in the 2011 Europa League. This probably won't happen. It's probably one and more a more of the heart prediction rather than of the head prediction, if you know what I mean. But I'm probably going. I'll say, go on, AZ Alkmaar. I will say that. Hopefully, mm. they can win their group. A nice draw. See some of these sides, like maybe Nice, maybe Fiorentina. They come second in the group. Take each other out. No big five league dropouts from the Europa League into the Conference League, like last season where you had like Leicester and Marseille. Hopefully that doesn't happen this year. Then get to the quarterfinals, get to the semis before you run into a big five league side. And then, yeah, why not? I'm gonna stick my neck out at a speculative punt and say maybe AZ Alkmaar. Obviously, it's one prediction from the heart rather than the head, because I really would like to see it. That's why I think UEFA set up this new competition to give these um, non-big five leagues, you know, an opportunity to really go far in Europe, like Final did last season. So, and, you know, Final came fifth in the 2020-2021 era division, went on and got to the Conference League final last year, and where did Alkmaar finish in last season's era division? They finished fifth. So maybe there's an omen. So it's one prediction maybe from the heart, from the heart rather than the head although there's a little bit of head to it as well I guess but I'll take a speculative punt and say A's at Alkmaar um, <laughs> I, I like it you're following the Jonathan Dix rule of prediction so I can't I can't argue there and then finally <laughs> Jonathan for your Europa Conference League prediction I'm going to be pretty boring here just because I highly doubt uh, I'll be watching a Conference League game until Gosh, probably 2023. Um, so that leaves me with West Ham or Villarreal. Possibly at the moment, the two best teams in the competition. I'll give the edge to West Ham. Uh, they've had a not a great start to league play, so maybe they'll shift their attention to winning a uh, European competition this year. I could see the Premier League getting very bunched again at the, at the top. They may struggle to get into the Europa League places that they sort of always shoot for. So they might fully put all their effort and faith into winning uh, the Conference League and getting back into the Europa League that way. Absolutely. The same thinking as myself when I predicted West Ham last week. But that just about does us this week for the European one. Thank you to my guests, Andrew, to Jonathan and to Richard taking their time. And we'll be back. Um, we won't be back next week because there's no European football, I believe, next week. When are we next back? I should have prepared for this. I think it's in October. two weeks' time. Two weeks' time. Yeah, yeah that's right. I think we play Rangers on the 4th and 12th of October. Yep. Yeah, it'll be um, yeah. Saturday, 
I'll have to Saturday after the international break, it'll be them. So. Yeah, so we'll be back the first week of October, where we've got some, again, some, some tasty-looking fixtures. Inter against Barcelona at the San Siro will be a good one. Liverpool hosting Rangers in all-British. Ty, Ajax, Napoli will be a good game. Chelsea, Milan will be a very good game. Um, Sevilla, Dortmund, yeah, some some good games very much to, to look for. In a few weeks' time, obviously, we've got the, the wonderful international break in the meantime that we're all looking forward to. So, yeah. But that's been all of us for this week. Thank you all for listening if you got to this far. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>